All right, Hayden. So what the hell happened this weekend? I'm not trying to be sensational about this at all, by the way, but I do want you to explain it at least a little bit from the top. We'll dive into it in the main topic, but there's been a lot of buzz around your feature match in the previous call and the calling that happened last weekend specifically. Um, so why don't you just, you just give us like the 10,000 foot view to hit that bingo card slot. Um, what happened? Um, I mean, it's a, it's a tough one really to break down. Um, but basically like a, a very, if you didn't catch what happened over the weekend, calling Auckland uh, round 10. So second to last round of the event, myself and Matt Rogers on camera playing an Alton versus Icelander matchup, a very sort of in-depth matchup because it's a, a fatigue plan from Matt's side. And uh, so it requires you know, some uh, basically a remembrance and uh, kind of a, a moving through a fatigue plan on my side. So it's a, v- a very long game. Both players trying to play very quickly, myself and Matt. And uh, we end up with like a, a 35 minute judge call uh, because of a couple of errors made on on both our ends, um, which then, you know, I'm still trying to catch up on things that have happened, but led to this big kind of conversation and, and bigger dialogue uh, through social media. Um, that's kind of, I mean, the the long and the short of it, really. We can dive into more about the, what actually happened through the process, and I can break down what happened with the judge calls and stuff, because I think there's been a lot of speculation about what the judges had said and what actually happened in that moment and the interactions that both my Matt and myself had with the, the judges um, and who the judges were and, and all this at, at the event. So, um, but yeah, but I guess the long and the short of it is there was a, a really in-depth and complex judge call based on a couple of errors that happened during uh, gameplay from both mine and Matt's side that, that led to this kind of big, um, big conversation really. Mm-hmm. All right. So last week in Flesh and Blood, obviously you almost top eight it, calling Auckland. How was how was it overall? Was it a good was it a good atmosphere, a good experience, good venue? Um, like, do you, do you think it was a success? Yeah, like I, I obviously I think on the pod we're going to go through uh, my event sort of recap anyway. But the just kind of top line, always good to be at these callings, right? Like um, I've missed, I haven't played a calling now in almost uh, a year, I think, you know, obviously had the, the pro tours to play in worlds, but I haven't played a calling in almost a, a year. I think teams calling in Sydney uh, back in I think it was May or June prior to, it was the world premiere of uprising. That was the last time I played a calling. So awesome to be back at these events. Um, haven't been in Auckland for almost two years since the Monarch calling, actually Monarch Seal calling. So we're, we're going way back now. Um, different venue. Actually, the venue is meant to be the same as last time, but there's been some really inclement weather uh, and there's been this massive cyclone that, that went through New Zealand uh, and the North Island that forced you know, caused a lot of flooding, forced LSS to have to change the venue actually and they ended up in this uh, this really cool theatre, it's a civic theatre which is Auckland's like main theatre uh, in, in the heart of the city um, so we're playing on a stage effectively it was, uh, I'm not sure if you saw images, if you haven't uh, go check out LSS's coverage or on Twitter you can see these amazing sort of photos, we're actually up on this main stage and then there's this seating all back and the stage is huge because it's a, a massive theatre so you know you could, they could fit a couple hundred people in here um, pretty easily so yeah, really interesting venue, not the sort of venue you'd generally have a card tournament that so it was kind of cool to have that um, The I, when I walked in on Friday I was like oh man, I don't know about this venue, it's really weird it's not what I'd expect to play but as the, the weekend went on, Saturday um, the lighting was actually amazing. So it made playing events there really, really uh, uh, quite awesome, actually. And um, yeah, had a good time. Got to hang out with uh, the doctor, with Dan McKay and with Dave, who does a lot of editing for us. And um, we just we just kind of overall had a good weekend. And of course, got to play some Flesh and Blood, which is, which is always good. Cool. So got back, been a bit under the weather, unfortunately. Finally got hit by the spicy cough, Brendan. Mm-hmm. Got COVID. 
Uh, what, what do we call that? Uh, mushroom poppy in the back of the throat? <laughs> <laughs> That's maybe what you call that. Uh, but feeling feeling um, feeling a bit bitter today after a couple of days. So that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! For the few people that pick up on that, I'm I'm sorry. Um, all right. <laughs> well, let's head into the news, Aiden. What do you got for us? Uh, <laughs> well, I just want to lead off with you know speaking about calling Auckland. Congratulations to Sam Sutherland. Uh, a local Aussie player from Melbourne, actually, who took out the calling. I think it was just over 200 or 250 odd players in the end in the calling. Um, Sam taking it down on Dash. Big one. Sam is someone who's been pretty dedicated to Dash, I think, since coming to the game. Top eight at Australian Nationals end of last year. Uh, I've seen him at multiple of like the PQ seasons and stuff, traveling around Australia, just trying to punch his ticket to, uh, to Baltimore. So um, I know he's at Worlds, I think, as well. So uh, it's just a player that's coming through sort of. Australian competitive scene and, and um, trying to make a name for himself and obviously picking up that first trophy is huge. So big congrats to Sam. The top eight was pretty stacked actually with some players that, you know, obviously Michael Fing was in that top eight, um, Cam McCreeth, Matt Rogers, you know, the, the top eight was full of known players, but also some, you know, Alexi player in the final in the form of Diggle Dixon, who um, honestly, like just the way he was, you know, his kind of call to, we talked about it last week, Lexi would be a good medical if you could dodge Guardians this weekend, but uh, Diggle didn't even bother dodging Guardians. He just went through them, which was uh, super interesting. As Honestly, well. Lexi making top eight, not surprising to me. But what did surprise me is I love Kale McCreeth and he's been playing for a long time. He's a fantastic player, but Bravo is a garbage hero. <laughs> and he somehow, I mean, it, it speaks to Kale's uh, sort of acuity yeah. as a flesh and blood player that he could he could sort of get that hero into top eight. Um, I was, you know, that there's that new card that was spoiled that. Um, you know, takes away your your hero ability for the rest of the game, and I just the best thing about Bravo is it's very future proofed because the hero effectively <laughs> doesn't have a hero ability right now. It's just it doesn't it matter. Dash. Yeah, oh. so does that. <laughs> Kale actually, I think Kale started one two and then rattled off eight I straight wins to make the top oh, eight. two because I heard there was yeah, okay, a little okay. bit of a bet going on in regards to coffees for him making top eight, and uh, yeah, people got pretty deep in the bets after he got oh two and then he proceeded to top eight. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. And I know as well, uh, Dave, Dave Lynn, who's a friend of uh, Michael Fing's, part of that American group that came over. So there's two, two North American players in the, uh, in the top eight. He was also on Dash. He actually knocked out uh, my testing partner, Dan, out of top eight in the last round. They were playing for winning, and uh, Dan ended up finishing 10th on the same Icelander list, which, which we'll get into um, in, the, in the top of the pod. But yeah, just wanted to say, you know, it was a, it was a cool event, cool to see these players, uh, a contingent of really well-established players, and then someone in the form of, of a newer face in the form of Sam Sutherland winning that event. So um, shout out to him. Preview card, Brendan. Uh, got a package here from LSS behind me that was here waiting for me when I returned from Auckland. Uh, we do have our preview card, which we will be we're doing a little bit of a short for. We'll be putting that out. On we are um, Sunday 1 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, so March the fifth, Sunday 1 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I think it's about four. I don't know what time that is. About 5 p.m. or something uh, here in Sydney. We'll be putting that out. That'll be live. Uh, we've of course seen the card. We're you know excited to show up. We've got a little bit to talk about. I'm sure. As Brennan says, breaks the uh, the fundamentals, the core tenets of the game, <laughs> okay. uh, <That's> <laughs> which might be fact, a little. Dude. <laughs> as a fact, might not be quite what you're expecting, but um. Yeah, we, we have that to share, so that's coming your way. Sorry, that's 7 p.m. NZ time, yeah, 5 p.m. Australian, uh, 1 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on March the 5th. And then we have had some preview cards over the weekend, so let's talk about them. Let's get into it, uh, as we always do in this kind of section in the lead-up to a preview season. As these early previews start to drop through, we talk the cards, we talk about 
you know what we're expecting so mask of many faces this is one we saw i think i got to the event on saturday and this had already been shown somehow somewhere i don't know where this came from uh but mask of many faces is a ninja equipment head it's a common it, uh, defense for one has blade break and says instant one resource destroy mask of many faces name a card the next attack action card you play this turn gains that mm-hmm. name uh what i might do actually brandon because all three of these cards that we saw are really related to this kind of theme of of uh combat chains and card names so i might just go through these cards and we can talk about them as a group so the next card we saw was headley's the tails which is a uh, ninja attack action majestic it's a three attack two defense at red cost one and says when this attacks name another card attack action cards with that name have plus one attack this combat chain go again and then the last one is be like water which is a common cycle Presumably, although we've seen the red one so far, which is a zero cost red attack action, ninja attack action, attacks three, defense for two, and says when this hits, you may, you may pay one. If you do choose head jab, surging strike, or twin twisters, this gains the chosen name. Go again. So a lot of three cards in the ninja area that's all about naming. And um, I want to throw this over to you, Brady, but the first thing that I kind of thought of is LSS looking to help consistency <laughs> for ninja, particularly yeah. Katsu, uh, with these cards. Reduction of variance, for sure. I love Mask of Many Faces. Um I really wish it wasn't a headpiece because it, it can't compete with the you know, mask of momentum, unfortunately. Uh, but it's it's great. I think that this is a, like a totally new direction of taking of taking ninja specifically. I mean, can't say specifically Katsu, but of course it does really help Katsu. Um, that I honestly didn't see coming, and I think it's a breath of, a breath of fresh air. I mean, one of the biggest downsides to playing Katsu is specifically those. Those combo starters, right? You don't get the right combo starter. It's like you're you're cooking with you're cooking with nothing at that point because you can't even fetch it off of uh, off of Katsu's ability. And I think that reduction of variance might pull Katsu more in line with something like Fi, who has a lot of replacement level cards. Yeah, so it's so funny. We actually had, we addressed this question specifically in the kind of cookout last week about you know what does Katsu need to to be a more consistent hero. And uh, one of the things that, that I really touched on was this, you know, Katsu's power is in the hero ability. It's a really powerful hero ability, and it helps you with consistency to, to, to a degree, right? It helps you get these combo chains that you want. But that is one of the downfalls of Katsu is that if you don't trigger that ability or you don't find the right starters to pair with your right combo uh, cards or you find all combo cards but no starters, for instance, or all starters, no combo cards, you can really have this issue. And what we're seeing with these cards is they can help to mitigate some of these variance issues, these consistency issues that the, the Katsu can have. And I think it's a really interesting design space for Alexis to play and to say, hey, you know, here's a way to look at addressing some consistency issues for something like uh, Katsu in particular, which is what I'm going to focus on. But uh, like you say, it could be for, for more ninjas than just Katsu, Benji, Fire, Future Ninjas. And Mask of Many Faces, you know, specifically does that at one point, gives you this ability to just turn a card into another card, right? So a, a good example of this, right? Um you you play your surging strike and then you uh you play your uh you you play you you know you want to play your bonds of eternity or something which needs a card to be called gust wave afterwards well maybe you don't have a woman gust wave or something but you can turn something to saying you know having mm-hmm. that name so that your bonds of eternity can then be turned on as the third chain like even if it's just like a a red leg tap or something right um it gains that name so it's all of a sudden it's like okay well i don't have quite you know, a surging strike use my next resource to Play the uh to play my leg tap as a as a, a gust wave maybe i remove tune counter to activate mask in your face whatever it is but you have this ability to now start to like make your combat chain better than what it could be with permanence on the board in the form of mask many faces and of course it leads the tails uh you know the immediate card i think of with this is like 100 wins you know give all my 100 wins on this combat chain plus one you know it's like effectively like a what like a surging i saw a meme it's like um uh what's that card the fire card called is it um uh the one that gives plus one to draconic chain links that are higher than its base power is it um uh, 
spread spreading spread flames. the cheeks. Spreading oh, flames. Sorry, spread flames. Yeah. <laughs> spreading flames. I saw a meme where someone was like, you know, it's like the hey mom, can we have spreading flames? And it's like, no, we already have spreading flames at home. Yeah. Head leaves the tails, but you know, it's a it's not a draconic attack, so it's a, has a bit more utility, I guess. And then be like water, of course, you know, similar sort of thing um, where you can pay one resource if it hits with be like water hits and choose head jab, surging strike, or twin twisters, and uh, that gains the chosen name. So you know, you could turn this into a surging strike if you have warming gust wave hand. So effectively, you can have. This card that's a zero cost, a more efficient potential surging strike for your Roman Gust Wave turns, which is all really cool and all leads to a lot of different design uh, and, and deck design spaces, I think. I actually love this. Um, and I really have to commend them because this is not, uh, you know, I really didn't see this coming. And I think my big, no, my no, biggest critique of Katsu is Katsu just consistently got side grades where you saw other heroes in Flesh and Blood get vertical grades where they just are literally more powerful and Katsu got more ways to play medi- like in a mediocre way. Um, so I think that this is a, it takes it in a new direction and could potentially actually unlock the hero. Cause I, we've been thinking for a long time. It's like, what does Katsu actually need? Does he does, is it just power creep? Do we just increase the numbers? Um, and consistency could be it. So I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan to be honest. Uh, but yeah, once again, mask of many faces, I'm assuming it was too powerful to not be a headpiece. but if it, if it, if it hadn't been, it would have been really, really cool. Yeah, a new arms piece or something. Look, I, I think yeah. the primary function we're going to see of Mask of Many Faces is a limited card, and that excites me to no end because I want to see these kind of effects in limited, and it's a common. I think that's where we're going to see it. I mean, look, at worst, this is an Iron Rot head. Like, that is Iron Rot helmet. That is huge, but this has very relevant text, I think. We already see some cards that that could work with uh, Be Like Water in limited. My question now is, are we going to see Head Jab, Surging Strike, or Twin Twisters in the set, or are we going to see cards that you know, are we going to see reprints, basically? Are we going to see Wyoming Gustway, mm. for instance? Like, well, What are we going to see in this set? Are we going to see other cards that work off Surging Strike? Like, There's so many options right now, but my, my kind of current question is, will we see reprints? Feels like it, with this at Common, right? If it was a Majestic, mm. I would err on the side of maybe no. But since it's Common, um, yeah, I think so, to be honest. I, I do. Mm. Yeah, like, it has me pretty excited for what this format could be, both from... You know, what outsiders could give us for Constructed, of course. I'd love to go back and play some cards to get the Kadachis out again. But um, beyond that as well, for me personally, being such a limited stand, it's uh, it's very exciting. Look, I, I literally cannot wait to get stuck into this Outsiders limited format. Um, on top of that, you know, Brennan, we've got something for the channel we're going to be looking at with limited, which is really exciting. More details to come soon. But um, yeah, just can't wait to draft and can't wait for the pre-release just a few weeks away now so a little story time here hayden went back to auckland uh he was uh, he's from auckland by the way he's from he's from new zealand at least not oh, not from auckland <laughs> he's from new zealand he's from the south I, island as they say um but this time he got to go to a little restaurant a little restaurant called pasture <laughs> so we've been hyping up to him forever um so i think on that note i want you to fire up that command and cookout give me your review of pasture the best restaurant in the world as well as hit me with the question for this uh command and cookie Did- section I can do that. I can do that. I got to go with a uh, friend, Nick Butcher, who many people know, Flesh and Blood player. And look, it was it was really good. It was definitely an experience. And um, the the food, I mean, it's all local produce from New Zealand, which is cool. So I'm definitely glad that I went along to, to Pasture and checked it out. Um, was it my favorite restaurant I've been to, Brendan? I don't think it is, sorry. But it's it would be probably in my top five or top six or so restaurants that I've been to. So you know <laughs> top six i did mm, look that hurts top six hurts top five i can it was work really with, good top though. six god damn <laughs> it was really good though um it was quite a quite a heavy seafood menu on this particular day they changed their menu up consistently 
um, which is like not particularly my favorite, although uh, they were all the seafood dishes were, were pretty good. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, no, it was good. Move on to the command cookout question. I can give you that, fire that your way. Got a question from Fancy on the Arsenal Pass uh, Patreon Discord. Again, you can get your questions into the command cookout in any which way you like. You can ask them on YouTube. You can drop them in the comments below. If you like, if you've got a question for us, you can DM us. You can paste them into our command uh, cookout Discord uh, chat if you're in the Discord, if you're one of our patrons. Um, or whatever way you want to give it to us. No one handed me a note at Auckland, Brennan. You'll be, you'll be, you know, sad to hear. Uh, but that was a missed opportunity for some. So, question from Fancy on the Discord is: Why is LSS afraid of making more attack reactions? Mm. Now, the reason I picked this question out—it's actually an older question we got asked a couple of months ago—is uh, that we have seen some attack reactions that are going to be printed for outsiders yeah. uh, for our assassin friend. And actually, in the past, basically year, uh, the only attack reactions that we've seen for assassin. Mm. Um, we haven't seen more printed for ninja or warrior basically uh we've seen more attack actions to be focused upon so it's like a i think quite an interesting question of course we've seen spike with blood rot spike with frailty and spike with inertia uh, that we know we're getting for at the rear 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 level for um for the set from assassin and of course we saw shred uh, and there was one other one remember the name but uh prior to that it's really interesting because i think we, you know we didn't see these attack reactions for a long time you know alice has really pulled back on them and I think like we got like some instants, you know, we got like lightning press, we got the um, blinding beam and Monarch. We've seen more of like instant level rather than attack reaction. And I guess the question is like, are they scared of it or <laughs> is it just maybe not quite in how they want to, yeah. is it they want to focus on classes that have attack reactions and not bring it too much into the generic space and be really careful with the principle of attack reaction. So I don't think they're scared of it. I think that it is definitely class, but it's class specific um, to an extent. <laughs> I also think that attack reactions are not as good as people think. They're pretty narrow in terms of design um, as cards. So I think that we stray away from them for that reason specifically. Uh, I think, you know, I just don't know if you there would, it would add a lot of value to have a bunch more attack reactions. It might add, kind of make the game feel a bit homogenous if every if every class had a bit of like a gotcha in the attack reaction step. Um, but ultimately, when it comes to the sort of the quantity that exists in the game, I don't think they've been afraid. I just think that it just hasn't happened. And I believe that Uprising is or sorry, not Uprising. Um, <laughs> Dynasty, yeah, outside. <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome to Wraith here is now <laughs> outsiders. Yeah, uh, is uh, we're going to see a lot of attack reactions. I think so. I think for sure. Um, but yeah, I don't think they've been afraid. Hayden, what are you? No, I, I think they're just careful with the design space because, to be honest, I don't think it's that particularly interesting design yeah. space. And I think they have been careful to cultivate what they use attack reactions. Now they needed to print a bunch of welcome to Wraith because, well, first of all, you know, Dorinthia utilizes attack mm-hmm. reactions and of course we saw those in crucible and then summon to um everfest and even uh, a dynasty to an extent as well right that's where we have seen the attack reactions but generic you know i think people there was a precedence it's like well we saw razor reflex we saw palmer we saw these attack reactions and we still see those cards played today but we didn't see to that level generic attack reactions mm. printed after that and i think that's the reason they were printed at generic in that set is because they needed to give accessibility like realistically do you think lss would go back and print pummel and that's not because uh, you know pummel's an issue in the format although people might point to that with guardian and stuff i don't i don't think that's true i just don't think it quite fits the design space it just kind of doesn't really quite make sense like should guardian have tech reactions for instance like should we have them a generic and i think lss is kind of default right now in the design spaces no that's not where we see them fitting we see them fitting with our, our blade heroes you know our our warriors, our uh, ninjas to an extent, although again, very careful with those. They're very purposeful. They generally at majestic and they have a very keen purpose of why they're there. And then now we see with assassin, but I think, you know, 
uh, card density and having these access to show people the game, it was important to have those in Weapons Wraith in the form of Pummel and, and Raise Reflex. Yeah. I'm not even sure if attack reactions are that good, to be honest. I think Pummel's good, and it's good in the right meta, but overall, like... I don't know if, if I think about like things like lunging press, like razor reflex, like the other attack reactions, they're not that good. It's just pummel because we exist in, it's not that good. Like pummel is good because we exist in a meta where people want to keep their hands most of the time. They don't want to be disrupted. Mm-hmm. Um, and pummel also works. With re- and command conquer exists. Yeah. Yeah. Command and conquer exists. Also tunic exists. Also, um, yeah, I mean, mainly tunic exists. So people are doing it effectively, like kind of for free. Uh, outside of that, like <clears throat> attack reactions just aren't that good. And I think if they're too good, it kind of sucks. Because <laughs> like if they're too good, everybody's got to pack a shitload of defense reactions in their deck. That's just how it is. Yeah, it just changes the dynamic of the game. And obviously we have, I kind of forgot, but we have seen them printed um, with like Blade, Flash, and Thrust with the Dorinthia, the classic battles. But in that form, those are the generics, but they are um, they're a bit less powered, right? They're not they're not comparable to Razor Reflex or to the the level you see with like the class specific, which is good. I think that makes sense. So I think we'll continue to see attack reactions, but I think Alice's will be you know careful of where they fall into with the design space. Um, I forgot we saw Rapid Reflex actually during Uprising, so we, we have seen them to a degree, mm-hmm. but they are being a lot more. And that- Rugal with their attack. And that card sucks. <laughs> uh, well, tell you what, I thought that card was a lot better in limited than I came around mm-hmm. on it in the end of the uprising limited format. Yeah, uh, rapid refix. I, I can see that. There's something to be said about attack reactions in limited, especially in defense reactions. Sort of thing. So, Brendan, the the one thing I didn't mention was rapid reflex and uprising. So, Alice's have used these attack reactions just more frugally than they have in in some of the earlier sets. But from what we see with outsiders, we've already seen some attack reactions. Do you think we'll see a generic attack reaction outsiders? Do you think we'll see more than what we've already seen? I think if we see a generic attack attack reaction outsiders, it's going to suck. I don't think they're going to re-put anything <laughs> close to the pummel level of power. Yeah, I also don't I don't love Razor Reflex and Pummel in Welcome to Wraith Limited either. So like, I'm more than okay for these not to be available generic in a limited format. I do like I do I do like Pummel in in limited, but I guess yeah, it depends. It depends. I feel like it can be really good, but it can also be very clunky. You know. Epot, pummel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, great, great question. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think they're scared of them. I think they're just using them in a design-specific design way that makes a lot more sense to what they want to do with tying them to classes for the future, which is cool, I think. I, I really like that. I think it's important to have some available at a generic level, and obviously they've done Blade Flash and stuff like that post, not just Welcome to Wraith, because it shows people, you know, when you're learning to play the game, how, how that aspect... Like, attack reactions is an aspect of the game, so you do learn to use them, but... um. Yeah, not as important. Thanks for the question, Fancy. Again, if you do want to get your questions in the command and cookout, please do so. We've got uh, we've got some spots for some questions opening up. So if you've got some questions you want to get in, then um, then please do so, and we'll, we'll get them read out on the air, Brendan. Yes, Hayden. All right. Well, let's talk about your tournament. Let's hop into the main topic of the pod. Start me off with what deck did you play and why? Yeah, so we talked on the pod last week about calling preparations and uh, kind of what we've been going through in our testing process. And where I was at, and I'd said that I was between Briar and Icelander for the event. Ultimately, ended up playing Icelander. I uh, feel really happy with, with what I chose to play and, and choosing to play Icelander. Uh, Auckland and New Zealand in general, typically very Guardian-heavy meta. Mm-hmm. Um, we really worked on our Guardian plan, which I'll, I'll kind of get into in a little bit. But So I felt really good about choosing Icelander. I also would have felt reasonable about playing Briar because of the amount of Guardian I was expecting. They ended up being a lot more fire than I would have expected. 
And I think that worked out again while playing Icelander as opposed to Briar. That matchup can, why I think is now Briar favored uh, to a degree. It's only slightly, and you know, they, those aggro matchups are not ones I particularly want to play. I would have been a lot happier playing against a bunch of, you know, Guardian, Dromai, uh, if I was playing Briar. But there was a lot more Icelander than maybe people might have expected. And I, there was no Dromai in day two. I think there was definitely some in day one, but no Dromai made day two in Auckland. So um, that's really worth noting is that I think Briar. Might have been a good position for day one, but day two was a lot tougher. There was a lot of Icelander in day two. There was, uh, you know, a lot less Dromai and things like that to prey on off your Briar. So, could you sum that up by saying Dromai sucks? Look, I you know I don't, <laughs> I don't want to make any enemies. <laughs> I don't want to look silly like our our friend uh, Tarek Patel might have looked after that uh, that money match. But no, no, no. I I mean. Dromai was never in my sort of considerations, just given where we're in the format. I think in the future, Dromai could be in a, a really good position, but do I want to play Dromai in a field where I expect a lot of people to play Briar because it's probably the best aggro deck in the format right now? No, that's not for me. So, um, yeah, we picked up Icelander. In terms of, so myself, Dan, and uh, Dave, who I'd been testing with, we all decided to play Icelander. We all ended up on the same 80 cards. The list uh, is available in the description, so you can go check that out. There's a FabDB link down there to go and check out the list. Uh, kind of in terms of like what our, our plans look like. So we, we had this plan for Fatigue Oldham. We expected people to play it. We knew about it, obviously, from Indianapolis. And we, we knew that people would want to play this kind of Warhorn repetition fatigue style into Icelander. So uh, we had a package of Remembrance plus Strategic Planning. Um, and the reason for the Strategic Planning is it allows you to get back an extra energy pot because the energy pots are really crucial to sort of making that combo play. And you're using your E-pots to feed to um, the Warhorns to make sure you can protect your, your Insidious mm. Chills. So... That's, that's the reason for the strategic planning. It's also a, just a solid card in the middle uh, mirror because cantrips are good in the mirror because they allow you to just keep that progressive moon value and while digging for your permanents to put on the board. And it's the same kind of concept in, uh, in the matchup with, with Ultim Fatigue. So um, that's kind of the, the plan we had there, a plan that we worked on. Dan kind of came up with this plan and then we, like, we worked on it repetitively to make sure that we felt pretty good about it. Um, ultimately, my one time I got to play it, it didn't quite go to plan for uh, some different reasons, of course. You know, it was going to plan, unfortunately. Uh, we also ran CNCs, uh, which we we just wanted some cards for Ranger. We expected people to play Lexi and think, you know, it's kind of the best option you have available there. And um, we even, like, ran uh, one to two in, in the mirror match um, rather than running things like Sink Below, for instance, not running three of those. Uh, what else were kind of our list? We didn't play the Winter's Bites. You know, you might have noticed, like, Michael Hamilton and a, a few other people over the last couple of weeks played these, like, Red Winter's Bites. Particularly for me, didn't didn't like that card. I understand the concept of the card, which is to... You know, always trade for a card in, in uh, matchups or help you keep your channel like fridge around for longer, um, Brendan. But, you know, like for me, just not a card I was excited about. Felt pretty poor in testing. Yeah, I think that another another part of that card that I heard was that they found themselves having re- sort of redundant cards at hand. Um, often while playing Icelander, they wanted something that they could play out that would affect uh, the opposing player and still have some, something to play after that as well. Um, yeah, because the worst thing you can do is IP yourself <laughs> at any point in Flesh and Blood. Yeah, exactly. And, and that can happen that, uh, it can happen with Icelander, mm-hmm. right? You've got to be really careful because all of a sudden it's like, okay, I disrupt my opponent with like my ice card out of Arsenal and they just go, okay, well, I'll set up a permanent or I do this thing and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I have this extra card in here and I can't use. That's why like Scarf or Scarf in particular is like a good card, right? It stops you from that from happening. And Winter's Bites is a similar kind of spot, which... <clears throat> I completely understand. Um, I think just the way we were playing our matchups, we weren't finding that to be as much of an issue. And I think kind of you can get around a lot of that with just the way that you understand matchups and the way you sequence plays to avoid kind of IPing yourself, like you say. Um, except, you know, when you, you do IP yourself uh, with a misplay. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> 
so that's what we played. We played Icelander. Why not Briar in the end? Uh, look, the the main thing is I think Icelander is actually just the best deck in the format. Still, I think it's so consistent. I think um, I'll get into the kind of round by round, but my four losses that I end up taking, uh, all of them felt winnable, mm. and um, that is the power of Icelander. I think it's consistency plus the the plans you have are just are so strong into each matchup and. Yep. Unfortunately, uh, yeah, Icelander being still a quote-unquote best deck in the format, Kana winning two Blitz events, my future in Flesh and Blood is effed. <laughs> oh, Wizard is getting freaking nerfed or banned in some way pretty soon, I think. Maybe. No, I mean, but you look at it, so uh, Icelander in the hands of Michael Hamilton wins Indianapolis, but, you know, put, I think Margin Bay also top aided that event. I think there's one in Bologna that top aided. No Icelanders in Auckland, so... Look, that's my opinion. I think you have a similar opinion is that Icelander is very, very strong. And as our testing went on, so like I avoided Icelander for a long time. I was like, I don't want to play this deck. I don't want to play Mirrors. I don't particularly, I think it's good, but I, I think there's other options that are, are just as good. And the kind of conclusion that we came to in the last kind of week of testing is that just isn't really true. Like Icelander just is the most powerful thing you can kind of be doing. And I wanted to play Briar for the longest time. I was like fighting up until the last day. Like I took Briar with me to Auckland. And uh, Dan and Dave were like taking bets, side bets apparently, which I didn't know about until the day before of like what percentage they like, whether they thought I would land on Briar or not. Um, <laughs> I think Dan won that one because I think he thought it was 0%. So Dave definitely thought I would land on Briar. Sasha, and I, thought have, I might. Sasha and I have done that for every single Pro Tour, by the way. Yeah. You've never played. About the, me or just in general? With you. <laughs> You've never played oh, the deck no. you show up with, bro. What do you mean? <laughs> Uh, it's a classic Hayden trap, isn't it, Willie? Well, to be fair, for Worlds, I committed to Kano and I played Kano. But yeah, yeah. most uh, most other, like PT2, PT1, uh, this event, yeah, sometimes I, you know, I, I have one thing on my mind that it's not what I end up playing. So that's probably me hamstringing myself, man. Look at, like, the events where I've shown up with the deck committed to playing it. This is the events I've done the best at. Mm. So I need to just, I need to start committing. Happened the Worlds a little bit where you're testing. You started testing, I mean, Sasha was doing it too, but testing Levy, and you're like, oh, I might just play Levy. I was like, He's not fucking playing Levy. Or you're taking Reinar. That was it. You're talking Reinar. I was like, you're not playing Reinar. It's not going to oh, happen. For Blitz. Shut the this is Blitz. <laughs> yes. Yes. This is for yeah, Blitz. This is for Blitz but like, yeah, we had yeah, this yeah. convo where he's like, mm, I was like, no, no, you're not. You're not doing it. Stop. <laughs> uh, uh, it's true. It's true. I thought about playing Chain as well. Um, so, yeah, that was basically it. And then I just thought, you know, I guess I can dive into the event and just like a bit of a, a, bit of a recap of, Cor- of Auckland. Um, you know, it's been a while since. We've traveled to calling. I think like I was thinking, so last calling I played was Sydney in May or June mm-hmm. 2022. And I was thinking, Brendan, like when was the last time, what was the last calling you played? It would have been uh, calling in last in year? Indianapolis, I believe. Yeah. Not counting November? like some day two callings, right? You're talking about independent event callings. Yeah, 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 exactly. Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. independent. Uh, sorry, the, yeah, not yeah. the most recent Indianapolis, Indianapolis before that. One prime. So I thought, you know, good opportunity to like just, recap a bit of a calling from our side uh, we don't get to talk about these events very often so um you know if people aren't familiar haven't been to these events it's depending on how you want to travel you've kind of got the world as your oyster i know brennan you've done both you've come in on a friday before the event you've come in on a thursday and taken the friday the, the kind of way i did this this time myself was I actually came in on the thursday mm-hmm. and uh, we actually spent the full friday testing because we we had only just decided to play icelander and, and wanted to get as many reps as possible so i'm glad i took this extra day we literally went to my hotel uh, I booked like the boardroom at my hotel. They were very nice. They're like, yeah, you guys can have the boardroom. And uh, me, Dan, and Dave, and uh, another another Dave. We recruited another Dave. Uh, just just play games basically most of the day, trying to test and just work out. We play. I think I played honestly like eight or nine mirror matches. I sent a mirror matches. Wanted to bang my head against a brick wall. Played against this fatigue plan multiple times. We ended up going to lunch on like the Friday. We just for tenet, finished like an old fatigue versus Icelander game. 
And we ended up spending the whole lunch, like our lunch break, just talking about the last turn of this game, like all the different iterations of what we could have done. Like the, the, the matchup is so complex. And I think that's just a testament to Icelander in general is like so much of it is about not making the incorrect play as opposed to being like, you know, just obviously the deck's very powerful, but you're just trying to find like what is the best play in any situation. It's very, um, I don't know, you, you've talked about this before, right? With Icelander, you know how it feels to play that deck. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why that's what makes deck fun. Um but yeah, the, I, I think that in most games where you play Icelander, uh, most games that you lose, there was a chance to win um, at some point in that game. It's just a it's just a very complicated deck with a lot of nuance, and I mean it's something that you don't get, in my opinion, when you play something like Briar. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> uh, every turn, I mean, some, <laughs> some of my Briar games players would just... be listening to this, like, no, it's the hard Briar is so complicated. And I was, I'll give I'll give it to them that. It's not that simple, but it's not easy to play. It's not a freaking yeah. wizard. Like, I'm sorry, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's different. It's different. Like, I never feel like my games are easy with Briar. It's just different. Um, you know, there's a lot of play to the end games in Icelander, which is is very cool. Most of the time, sometimes it's not. But um, so we we settle on the deck. We settle on the list. Uh, we're writing it out the night before. We have our game plans all kind of locked in. All feel really good. Um, we'll actually post these. I'll post the full cyborg plan and our kind of game plans that we came up with um, that me and Dan came up with. So those will be available on Patreon in like the next week or so. You can check those out because Icelander ain't going nowhere. So uh, we feel pretty good about the plans we came up with. Big Ultim probably ain't going nowhere anyway. So um, we can talk about that plan. Uh, event, show up on the event. Round one, get to play against a newer player from uh, Wellington, New Zealand called Gary. He's on Reiner, lovely guy. Uh, and his mate actually came over afterwards and we just had a, a good chat obviously the about arsenal pass um his friend had sort of listened to the pod and stuff so that was cool it was nice to, to meet people who listened to the pod um newer player though and, and just kind of got a bit outshone i guess in terms of the matchup uh lost a bit of edge here and there uh so round one win versus reiner round two i get to play Briar, get a camera match brendan straight into the feature match in round two to play against Briar. And uh, really just put on, a, to be honest, a bit of a masterclass in what that matchup looks like, unfortunately, for uh, my friend Mitch, who is from Sydney. We we got to play against each other. And uh, I think I rolled like triple Ice Vane three turns in a row with an Insidious out to just like, <laughs> just not let him play the game, basically. Um, you know, just kind of how the game goes. Up. Wouldn't have it any other way when you're playing against your friends, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and to be honest, like I, pro- I think I'd take a big chunk of damage in the early game. To, to get an insidious out but that card is the most important card in the matchup i i don't think i've lost a game or won a game either side of the matchup where an insidious has been resolved on the table like it's just unless they just completely brick on brain freezes ice veins and and um ice tunnels like it just it's the matchup uh so sitting 2-0 round three hit into a mirror match my first mirror match of the day and play against uh, another australian just playing australians at this point uh david spence from melbourne who's a very experienced icelander player um very close game but we're both kind of matching each other with permanence. His draws, I think, are a little bit better with his attacks coming with, like, three blues, whereas I'm seeing some, like, double attack hands, and um, he's able to, like, leverage that into the end game. Makes me pop my epots first, which is kind of like mm. the death sentence, I think. If you've played many of the mirror, if you have to pop your epots first, you're probably about to lose that game. Uh, so 2-1, play another mirror afterwards against uh, a New Zealander who I know, Henry. Uh, not as experienced in the matchup, so that matchup goes a bit better for me, 3-1. Play a five after that in a pretty close game. Uh, and then I play, like, round some... 4-1 at this point, and they play into a Lexi, which I'm absolutely dreading in round six. Like, this matchup I'm worried about because I actually think it's Lexi favored if they're on, like, this more fuseless kind of aggressive build. Um, my opponent ends up being on, like, a bit more of an ice build. Uh, like, he lands a really early channel, like, frigid. But, like, he just, his draws is really solid. He, like, hits early three of a kinds, has good rain raiser turns, is putting all this pressure on me. Um, ultimately, it comes down to, like, a pretty close game. 
where a few mistakes from my opponent let me kind of get back into the game and I'm able to like set up a like a closeout Emeritus plus um, like burn turn to finish it out. But super close game. And then Brennan, I get my first taste of some of the uh, the Americans, the event, round seven. I get to play against Michael Feng. That was it. One you know very well. Must have been a buy. <laughs> no, I love Michael. Yeah, he's a, yeah. it was this guy. Uh, yeah, one of, one of the best players in the world, Michael Feng. What, what is it with the name Michael? I feel like if you have your name Michael, you should just play Flesh and Blood. just block. a freaking champ, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Michael's on Ultim. Uh, he's, he's, his very cool Ultim that he flips out, which is Eeyore. Uh, it's like an alt ultim, and I'm like, oh man, is this like he's trying to show me that? Is this because he's playing fatigue, or is this just because like, you know, he's trying to psych people into think he's playing fatigue? So I'm sitting there looking at my cyborg plan. We have a plan for ultim, which is like straight proactive ultim. We have like a hedge plan in case we're not sure what they're on. And then we have this like fatigue plan, and I'm like sitting there looking at the fatigue plan versus the hedge plan. I'm like, oh man, Michael Fing's already inside my head. Like, what am I, <laughs> what am I gonna do? Decide to like put the hedge in, which is just like adding the remembrance and the strategic planning, but playing all the rest of the equipment and uh, our kind of package of like defense reactions the same turn one like spinal crush comes out yep, and like okay yep, he's yep. on a proactive he build. never he <laughs> we, never we, plays fatigue dude he always plays the uh you know take a tunic off my resource and pummel and take my tunic off a resource play dude. four cost that's literally all he does dude he just does value all him i was so impressed with how i haven't played a game against michael before it's my first time playing against michael uh, his tunic usage he got so much got leverage out of that tunic counter the game was actually quite slow which favored me definitely because um, he flipped AB3. And so that's why I was like, oh, I don't know what he's on here. Because a lot of people are now flipping AB1 or AB2 if they're playing proactive. He still flipped AB3. And the game was a bit slower than probably he would like as well. Like he, he did his attacks weren't, he wasn't presenting as many threats. He didn't see a pummel until kind of like mid to end game. Uh, so the game was a lot slower, which I think would definitely favor me. But Mike was getting so much value out of his tunic each and every turn, which is just, yeah, the, the guy is just so good at the game, obviously. He, he's had the results to show it as well. Um, but in the end, like what ends up kind of happening is I, the game sh- I think should probably favor me in this situation. I don't see like an Insidious Chill or a Frost Hex, which are kind of like your incremental value engines that you can use to like just push damage uh, through the game. I don't see any of those in my first like 40 cards. So we get into like a really close sort of end game state where we've both just been basically playing attacks back and forth. And I've had a bit of chip damage here with uh, blue cards on, on Michael's turn with Waning Moon. And then I make this like 50-50 call and like putting a Frost Hex in my arsenal and um, in the end I get like pretty severely punished for it. Michael has like a good uh, pummel turn the next turn and kind of just leads into an end game. Michael actually bricks on one turn and if it wasn't for the Frost Hex in my arsenal, if I had basically any other card, I think I can close the game out there. But the Frost Hex call just kind of comes back to bite me and um, Michael ends up taking a, a pretty close one. But really cool to finally play Michael in a, a, in a game of Flesh and Blood uh, at the calling and um, yeah, he just showed his class. Obviously ends up making top eight as well. Just such a good player mm-hmm. yeah definitely i mean that that whole crew just traveling between battle harden to battle harden and now what is calling it's just they are uh they are a force to reckon with i know yuanji got relatively close as well but it's it's crazy yeah top 16 i think for yuanji i think so him and brody and maybe one of the other players that traveled them were on this like viscera uh, the royal viscerai deck uh, which i was super surprised to see um i had heard about this deck i had sort of you know, I've seen Royal Briar, of course. I was surprised that they decided to play it. Uh, obviously, Yuanji ends up putting up a top 16. I think Brody may not have made day two, or he did, and then he dropped to play the Battle Harden because, of course, Brody Spurlock top eight at a Battle Harden. Of no surprises there. Uh, surprised he didn't win it. Um, but, yeah, really interesting to see the list that, that they played. I haven't seen the list yet. I did look over a few times. I think they're playing into Icelander, which we had discussed uh, because we wanted to be aware of it, was like Diabolic Ultimatum to, like, fatigue, I think, might have been the plan. 
Um, I know there was a round, might have been round one or round three on camera. Brody played an Icelander, and I think they went to time, actually, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah. Uh, rock up on day two, and I just play back-to-back fives to start the day. Uh, two wins takes me to, what's that, seven and two uh, before the last two rounds. Really close games. The matchup against fire is a lot closer than I thought it was going to be, especially with like a really, both the fire players I played were, were, were good players. They understood the matchup and played really tight. I think in my round eight, I go like from like one life to two life, one life to two life as I block or like attack with like a finals fight experiment multiple times and just bouncing around trying to find a way to close out this game. Um, I knew my opponent around eight had like Oasis respite in their deck because Dan had played them the day before. So like I get to this in-game state where I'm trying to play around Oasis and also find a win. Just isolated things, man. Like the, the deck is really interesting and fun to play in the sort of in-game state, which I know you know, Brennan. So yeah. Uh, and then of course, round 10, what you alluded to at the, the top of the show, uh, I have the match against Matt Rogers on camera. So I'll talk a little bit about this matchup and then Brennan, maybe you can just fire away like from an outsider's perspective, kind of the questions you have because I don't really know what people kind of were privy to. I know that uh, at one point, one of the, the casters came out and got like an update from the spotter who was like the stream person to like find out what was going on and had like maybe been given some information from a judge to relay back to the stream. Um, but other than that, I'm not really too sure. So uh, round 10, me and Matt, we've got a feature match. Uh, we know that we both have to win this match uh, and that puts us in a position to win in or potentially uh even win this and be in with a loss in the last round probably in like eighth or ninth eighth tenth word finish somewhere around there um so it's pretty you know it's a pressure match for sure uh we are both like i i know he's going to play the fatigue plan and i think he's aware that i know that's the plan he's going to play so we know the game's going to go pretty long so we're trying to play at a pretty aggressive pace to get through the game um not that we talk about this we just kind of just that's what we're doing and i think that's pretty clear if you if you see the stream like we're both playing pretty quickly um, so just wanted to break down the plan first. I know that Matt's on this fatigue plan, which is basically like recurring Warhorn and destroy all the Frost Hexes and my Insidious Chills so that I basically just can't deal damage and he can win. And we have this plan with the Remembrance to Remembrance back our, our Frost Hexes after he does all this and um, strategic planning to get back one Energy Pot or one Insidious, depending on, uh, sorry, one Energy Pot rather, not, not Insidious, uh, to make sure that we can um, have one Energy Pot for the end of the game. And then our plan is basically to stack like Channel Lake Fridges so we can play out Channel Lake Fridges so that uh, the Ultimate Fatigue player can't remove a Tunic counter when we play the Ice Eternal to break the Frost Bites before in the turn because that's kind of their plan generally. So we make sure we have the Energy Pot which gets us above that Threshold Mark and also Channel Lake Frigid. Uh, if you're interested in more of this, we'll talk about this plan like uh, over on the Arsenal Pass Patreon. There'll be a, a video on this for kind of our plan into, into Fatigue Ultimate and how we, we plan to attack because we felt really good about this plan. Um... So basically the game's going through, Matt destroys all of my Frost Hexes and gets to the point where I'm like, yep, okay, ready to Remembrance. I draw the Remembrance and we Remembrance back through uh, the Frost Hexes, ready to now execute my plan. Matt's done his thing, threw his Warhorns immediately after his Remembrance, I think each and every time, just really like powered through his plan. And now it's time to enact my plan. Um, and then what ends up happening, if you haven't seen it already, is that uh, there's a channel like fridge on the board. There's a lot of stuff on the board because the game is quite complex at the stage. There's a lot of permanents on the board. There's an epot from his side, a channel like frigid. I have the insidious chills. Um, and I play a cold snap into a channel like frigid. But neither of us realized at the time, both have kind of forgotten there's a channel like frigid there. I resolve the cold snap and um, I do this in response to Matt playing an art of war. And the reason I do this is because I want to give him a frostbite so that he doesn't have enough resources to basically present a, a really tall attack and be able to push damage on me or take cards out of my hand. Because that's now what I'm worried about. I just need cards in my hand to get through to my plan. Um, and so we kind of miss that. He resolves the Outer War eventually, and then this is this big judge call that happens. Um, and while the judge call is happening about the Channel Lake Frigid, 
there's also realized that an art of war wasn't paid for. So because I responded to Matt, I stopped him from going ahead and banishing the card. And then he forgets to banish the card when he resolves the art of war. So there's another thing that happens, which means more in-depth conversation with the judges trying to understand what to do. Um, and it's, it's interesting because ultimately Brendan, like I make a mistake with the channel like frigid. Had I, you know, been fully aware of the channel like frigid or both of us, or have we kind of pulled that up straight away? I actually wouldn't have played the cold snap because I just need cards in my hand and I don't actually want to give myself more opportunities to draw my frost hexes. I just want to like get to my plans. So yeah, there's like a lot of stuff that happens in, in that situation. Um, and I, yeah, I don't really know what to say. I've seen like a lot of like questions going around stuff. So, I mean, I don't know, Brendan, like, do you, I mean, there's a, there's a really easy question is the one I've seen go around the most. And that's just like, do you think there was any foul play? And I think that it, it extends mostly to Matt's side and relax if you're fucking, I'm just, I'm a messenger and I don't, I, fuck you. I, someone's got to ask it. I, most of the stuff I've yeah. seen is like, do you think there was foul play from Matt? And then also people are like, do you think just, did you hit him with the old CLF trick? That's a joke, by the way. Uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of people don't go to tournaments. They like to talk shit mm -hmm. on the internet and they don't understand that at tournaments and when you play in paper, tons of mistakes happen, most of which are missed, even at the highest level of play. You see this all the time when you're casting the pro or you know, casting the pro tour, casting things like worlds. People cannot fathom that a mistake would be made by those players, but it happens a lot. A lot more than people would think. So your take, what do you what do you think in regards to sort of foul play, or do you think it was just a mistake? Yeah, I mean it's mistakes, like from both sides. There's just errors being made. Both, as I said at the top, me and Matt are trying to play in a really sp speedly manner. You know, we're trying to play fast because we we just don't want to draw. Like it's just catastrophic for both sides. So we're both playing pretty quickly. Um, the, the complication. So I think that's just out the window. Like I, I don't really understand that kind of side of it. I mean, no. maybe there's a larger thing there that. No, it's just people like uh, the, there's not much sure. to understand. Like they, that's it's more interesting, right? So people and, and they gravitate towards that being the narrative. Yeah. Yeah, people want narratives and stuff, right? And look, there, there may be other things there that people want to ask questions about, but in this particular game, I don't think that's that's the case. Um, but there is an interesting thing that happens, and the reason that this judge call takes so long is, yes, because there's two issues, but the other thing I wanted to explain, well, basically what happens is the judge comes over, we explain the situation with Channel Lake Fridges, just before we've even noticed the art of war, and the immediate thing the judge comes back with is actually Matt has already had two game rules violations on the day. Uh, so this would be representing a third game rules violation for Matt, which would mean that he receives an, an IP2 penalty. Uh, the judge is wanting to give me an IP2 penalty for gaining an advantage on the Channel Lake Frigid, which obviously sucks, but I understand, but is really not what I wanted to happen because basically had the Channel Lake, had we been able to like rewind that play, like I'm just not waning mooning, right? I'm just not losing an extra card. There's just no reason for me to do that. Um, so <clears throat> that that's the kind of discussion. And then of course we recognize the out of war piece that happens. So, in the end, after all this discussion, it's a really tough judge call, I think, and a lot of people have pointed this out, but I think the, that's a really lopsided um, judge call between what happens for Matt's side and what happens for my side. And there's a, there's a lot of things that go into that, but basically the, the kind of the thing that ends up happening is that they, there's a game rules violation on the channel like Frigid for myself and a game rules violation for Matt for not maintaining because it's his effect and he has responsibility as well to uphold that effect on channel like Frigid. And then there's also a game rules violation for Matt on the Art of War for not correctly resolving the Art of War. And effectively, it's drawing extra cards because the, the cost hasn't been resolved. Um, so what the judges decide is that they're going to downgrade the Channel Lake Frigid game rules violation on Matt's side 
um, and we're going to both end up with IP2s for the respective game rules violations, me for Channel Frigid, uh, Matt for The Art of War, and that they want the game to proceed. In the time, I think, you know, it's been 35 minutes. The judges just want this game to proceed. It's a really difficult situation. Just for clarity, Josh Scott is involved at this point, who he was head judge for the event um, because the other head judge had to step down on day one uh, for personal reasons. So Josh Scott actually jumped in to be the co-head judge with Joe Kavanaugh from the US, and they're both collaborating on this decision, and it does take a long time. So, you know, you've got two, you've got the the judge guy, right? You've got the rules and policy manager for LSS there making this decision as well. Um, and it's really in-depth and complicated because of the situation with what's gone back and forth and what's transpired with both drawn cards, with it, you know, they feel they can't roll it back. Um, so this thing, you know, ends up, being an IP2 on both sides, which I, and I think a lot of people said this, I think negatively impacts me the most because it means that I basically am not going to be able to enact my in-game plan because I'm not going to have the cards to be able to keep my life total high with uh, blocking out and set up the things I need. I, at some point, I'm going to need two cards on the next turn to be able to play a Frost Hex plus um, uh, present, prevent damage or present damage so that I don't take damage. So it puts me in a really, I actually say this to Matt when, I, when they talk about the fix. I'm like, oh, I think I know what the fix is here and I think it means I lose. <laughs> unfortunately um so the, the the first thing is that i made a mistake and and that caused me to get the ip2 and that's on me really the consequence stuff after that i think meant that i just had no chance to win that game i think there's a lopsidedness on the judge call which i actually i was pretty upset about it i'll be honest and i spoke to josh and joe post the event i went back to them and said i i don't think this ruling was particularly handled in the right way because to, to me they're two separate issues right brendan like you have this game rules violation on my side of channel frigid and that's a whole separate issue to the game rules violation with the um, the Art of War. Mm. And in the end, they treat this as one continuous thing and apply rulings based on that. And I don't think that ends in a fair result because they've not fixed the game state. They've just applied penalties on both sides for two very different situations. And Josh did say to me at the end that they are going to use this as an opportunity to go and look at this in the rules and policy. Um, but that at the time, they wanted to try and hold as tightly to the rules and policy as possible because the game is, of course, on camera as well. Yeah, uh, it's hard for me to weigh in because I just don't have uh, a deep enough understanding of the rules, especially, I mean, this is as deep as it gets if if Josh Scott and Joe Cavadar are having a 30 plus minute conversation how to try to resolve it. Um, but yeah, it's very unfortunate, I think. I, like, it, it sucks that that happened at a feature match and a match that was probably so important for top eight. Um, but like, that is the... The fallacy of paper card games like it that's what happens and it's it's unfortunate but yeah the games are not perfect and you know people make mistakes and games are played imperfectly i think more often than they are played perfectly when you play in paper that's the thing people understand you know talisha is not there reminding you they you know, forcing you to pay one extra for channel like frigid not forcing you to banish the card for art of war and ultimately like you say you know it's not going to be perfect and in that situation, both myself and Matt trying to play at pace, we're trying to get through this game. The the other factors in there as well is like, you know, it's a it's a very complex matchup. There's a lot of cards on the table. The play space for feature match is not particularly conducive to that as well. It's very tight and cramped because of the the layout they want for the camera. Um and mistakes happen. Like we're not perfect, right? Like, yes, I think the reason this got so much spotlight is because it is me and Matt playing this game. And would it have got the same spotlight if it was two other players? I, I'm not sure. Obviously it goes thirty five minutes over time, so it is a it is a big impact um but look ultimately i guess the outcome for this is sunday was a bit upsetting i mean the last round i played i just was not mentally there unfortunately i got to play against uh if anyone's familiar with we make best who makes some awesome videos i actually got to play against liam bennett who's one of the we make best crew who makes some awesome content 
Um, and unfortunately, I didn't get to give Liam a very good game. I just I made a lot of mistakes. I wasn't really it was really kind of in my own head tilt, if you want to call it whatever you want to call it. Um, post that match, which kind of sucked. So I owe Liam a, a match at Nationals. I think uh, hopefully we get to pair each other at Nationals or something. Um, but I guess the kind of takeaway from it is hopefully there might be some policy change or some review of like how these kind of penalties or the penalty guidelines are handled in this situation because. While I think they went by the letter of the law, do I think it was necessarily in the spirit of the game and could they have looked at this in a different way? Yeah, I, I think so. And ultimately, I feel a little bit like I've gone on the receiving end of that, but hopefully that means that that won't happen in the future. Yeah, for sure. Um, overall takeaways from your pick, picking Icelander and your performance outside of obviously the the outlier of that match. Were you happy? Yeah, look, super happy. I mean, um, Dan almost made top eight as well. He loses the last round. Uh, and, you know, I get really close as well. Dave was a lot less familiar with the deck. He kind of chose it because we had decided we wanted to play it. So he kind of trusted in us um, and took a couple of like harder losses on, on day one. But look, I think I look back at my losses and I, I feel like all the games were winnable. Like I felt like we had a really good 80 card list and it came down to, you know, a mirror where I lost to a very small margin. I think there was probably something I could have done better in there. I'm not exactly sure what it was, you know, and I played against a very good player in a mirror. Um, I lost to Michael Fang again, a 50 50 decision and against a very good player. Likewise with Matt, I make a mistake. It really felt like, unfortunately, my kind of takeaway is felt like I picked the right deck, felt like I had the right list, felt like I actually lost this event more than I cashed it, which is unfortunate. Like I feel, you know, events, I've been really, I think, fortunate with consistency in the past 12 months. I've day two every event I've played. I've cashed in all but two events, I think, in the past year, uh, PT Lille in Singapore. And even for this one, cashing it, but it felt like a missed opportunity. I felt like I, I kind of threw away top eight a little bit, which is, um, you know, something for me to go away and, and work on because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm coming back. I'm, I'm ready to play some more Flesh and Blood. <laughs> I ain't going anywhere. <laughs> well, sweet. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Flesh and Blood is definitely a game where that happens less. Like, where, I mean, I think that if you look at Michael Hamilton as, the, as a poster boy for Flesh and Blood, you might think that this idea of running hot and running cold does happen less in flesh and blood. But I think that people who, who see that side of it didn't see Michael Hamilton's sort of less than stellar battle hardened run that he did that was less covered, right? So I, what we've seen is we've seen our champion just win, win, win. But what most players go through at the highest level is they will go through sort of hot streaks and cold streaks. And it's really, really tough mentally because um, you always you always end up in the headspace of like, can I keep doing this? Am I good enough? Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is, is that you know, sometimes you are going to lose. Uh, a lot of the times it will be your fault, but you know, all you can do is just sort of go back to the drawing board and get better and try to win the next one. Yeah, it's hard when you have these sort of days at events where like I can point to all four of those games and be like, those were my games to win, I think, or at least three of them were. Um, but you know what, like, what are you going to sit there and do that? Like Michael Hamilton, you can't compare yourself to Michael Hamilton. I think it's just, he's just, he doesn't really make mistakes. He makes very few mistakes. Of course he does. He's, he's human, right? He makes mistakes. But I think what separates him over the past six months from uh, other players is just, he doesn't make the same mistakes. You know, he closes out these games, he closes out events. Um, and you see, unfortunately, sometimes his opponent making mistakes on the other side and him capitalizing on those. So, you know, you can try and compare yourself, I think, to someone like Michael, but it's, uh, I think you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice. There's a lot of good players in this game, and it's 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 a tough battle. But yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to future events. Um, I think we made a really good meta call, and I just also want to say a big thank you to to those that show me support for the feature match. I had a lot of people reach out on messages and and Twitter and things like that. And uh, I do just want to say people should be careful about kind of how they react to these kind of situations. <laughs> but um, I do appreciate the support in terms of the judge call and things like that. Like I, I do definitely feel like I 
was disadvantaged because of it and it was a tough to take but you know it, it's it's happened now we'll move on and hopefully that's a that results in a positive sort of action from the penalty guidelines perspective anyway mm-hmm. well sweet anything else to say hayden or are you you ready to close her out uh I'm all talked out and I need to rest my voice uh, to recover from COVID, I think. But um, yeah, look, it was tough to go through that, to be honest. And like in terms of just talking through it just then, because it's it's really hard to articulate what happened in the moment. It, although it took 40 minutes or whatever, and the game ended up being an hour and 20 minute match or whatever it was, it's all really hard to recall. And it kind of flew by in a flash, you know, if it didn't, I wouldn't have missed a channel like Frigid Trigger. <laughs> Matt wouldn't have missed a card from his banish, for instance. So um, no, I hope people understand my perspective on that and uh you know open in the comments give your thoughts and feedback um always open to it as well so appreciate it yeah and while you're checking out those comments hit that like and subscribe um while you're down there we're both on twitter i'm at brendan apg hayden is at fiend underscore dale check out the patreon for that cyber guide for the infamous and almost critically claimed Icelander deck. Icelander is not going anywhere, like Hayden said. So you're gonna be want you're gonna want to be brushed up on this if you're playing any serious fab events in the next few months. Um coming up, Hayden and I are discussing things for the Patreon additionally, uh in lieu of the upcoming Pro Tour. That's pretty exciting, but haven't taken off the ground yet. So relax, relax. I'm just telling you the news is coming. This is an announcement of an announcement. Um but of an announcement. Of an announcement. <laughs> but until next time, we will see you next week. Later.